If you would, join me in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10. We're going to read Jonah 3.10 through 4.11. Remember what we're doing. We did a study through the book of Jonah to consider how God is confronting Jonah and really Israel with the grace that God has and the compassion and mercy that God has for Ninevites and for uh, for all sinners. And now we're going back and looking at Jonah as a key text for dealing with anger. And we looked last week at Jonah... Uh, being confronted by God and asked to evaluate his own anger. God asked this very simple question, do you well or do you have a good reason or a right to be angry? And Jonah's confident that he, that he does, uh, but God is actually trying to reveal what's going on in Jonah's heart so that Jonah can repent, turn from his anger, and turn to the Lord in obedience. And so anger is something that uh, can be evaluated because it's something that we do Uh, It's got emotions, it's got thoughts, it's got actions and consequences of those actions. And then uh, anger is itself a statement of judgment. Uh, Every time I get angry, I'm declaring something right or wrong. Um, I'm evaluating. And that internal criminal justice system that functions within my own heart, it might not even be a conversation I have with myself. It might be the very worldview that I live on, on or I live out, that the world revolves around me and and everything should be making me happy. And when it doesn't, uh, there's this immediate anger and it feels feels natural because of the worldview that I'm living in, but it is not neutral. And it deserves to be evaluated because it is itself a statement of judgment. And that's why God can ask Jonah, do you have the right to be angry? So Jonah chapter 3, verses uh, 10 through 411. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster." Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Now again, as we start down this path, I want to remind you that to look at how God is engaging this very rebellious prophet. 
uh, God, you know, not many of us have been to the point where Jonah is in our relationship with God or would dare to talk to God this way. And yet look how God is engaging Jonah. Look how God is speaking to this prophet in this moment and know that this is how God is going to deal with you. God has tons of grace for his angry children, of which we are. And so I want to encourage you before we begin to kind of let your guard down and know that that God loves you and he wants to engage you in your anger so that you can move more into his grace and goodness. So the lesson for today is that God graciously challenges Jonah's distortion. God graciously challenges Jonah's distortion. And I would add, he, he challenges it and then he calls him to repentance and faith. He doesn't do that overtly, but it's, it's kind of the implied message that Jonah's going to turn from his anger, from his self-pity, and he's going to repent and, uh, and, and care about Nineveh, care about God's mercy for, uh, to Ninevites. What do I mean by distortion? If God is confronting Jonah's distortion, what do I mean? Well, I mean that you see, but you don't see clearly. Um, this is, growing up as a kid, probably the easiest illustration is I had a relative who had very, has very thick bottle glasses. They're, they're legally blind without their glasses. So very thick glasses and, and their contact lenses are so thick and so heavy that when we were swimming in our pool, uh, this person would say, stop, 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 stop. I can't find my contact. I lost my contact. And my brothers and I would jump in the pool and every time we could find the contact, that's how big and thick it was. Uh, imagine taking those glasses, those bottle cap, uh, cap glasses and putting them on. What would happen? Well, you'd be able to see, I mean, you could still see green and trees and you might not see the details, but you'd see the outlines, you'd see the basic structure of a tree, but you wouldn't see clearly. Uh, that's what I mean by distortion. Uh, Jonah sees. Jonah sees Nineveh's evil. In fact, God has said Nineveh is evil. Go talk to Nineveh. Go go preach out against Nineveh because their evil deeds have come to me. Um, so Jonah sees, and there's there's reality to what he sees, but then there's a lot of distortion to what he sees. He doesn't see the situation clearly from the perspective that God has as the merciful creator of these image bearers. And so distortion is seen, but not seen clearly. And so number one in your outline is our anger always has a distortion with it. Our anger always has a distortion. The, rea the, the reason for that is because while in our sin we, we obtained this knowledge of good and evil, this we usurped this role of God in determining right and wrong, um, while we gained that, we didn't gain God's wisdom, and we didn't gain God's uh, non-communicable attributes. And so every decision we make and every judgment we make, every evaluation comes from a very limited, finite perspective. But it's more than that. It's that sin has deeply affected every part of our being. It's affected us physically, it's affected us emotionally, and it's affected us in our mind and our reasoning capabilities. And so we might think at any one moment that we see clearly, but the reality is sin has affected us very deeply. And this is what Jeremiah says, right? The, the heart of man is deceitful 
and desperately wicked who can know it. Well, what's Jeremiah talking about? He's talking about the noetic effects of sin, that every part of our being is corrupted. Even our good deeds are corrupted with selfish motives. Um, and, and so when it comes to anger, when it comes to making a statement of judgment, the only ones we can be sure are, are the ones that God has made. Um, and everything else we have to say, well, it probably has a distortion that I'm not aware of because I'm, I'm in me. Um, this is what Proverbs 14, 29 says. See if you can see sort of the difference. Whoever's slow to anger has great understanding. And understanding is the same word or idea there for wisdom. Um, then he says this, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Um, the book of Proverbs compares wisdom to foolishness. Uh, to mockery, and uh, and hear what what the author is saying, what what Solomon in his wisdom is saying is, people who understand that are slow to anger, that are slow to make statements of judgment, and evaluate and allow that internal criminal justice system to kind of to kind of reach a conclusion in this moment, those are the people who have wisdom. Why? Why? Because to not exposes the foolishness and the distortion. Uh, that's within. And this is why James can say the, in James 1.20, the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. But notice what he says next. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. That's the humility. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You see what James is saying? And you don't want to go down the path of anger. Man's anger, the anger of man, never accomplishes God's righteousness because there's always this distortion. And so what's the answer? It's to put away filthiness. It's to put away wickedness. It's to put away the evil within and receive with meekness the word of God. The word of God is what will help us make informed decisions and judgments about people and, and actions. People and and what happens around us. Uh, so James is is giving really good counsel, and uh, one of my best, uh, my favorite illustrations of this in the Bible is when Moses strikes the rock when he's supposed to speak to it. This is in Numbers chapter twenty. Um, God has as you know the people of God are walking through the wilderness. Moses is leading them, and they're complaining, always complaining. Uh, I mean, they just, they wore this poor guy out as a leader because they just complain, 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 murmur, murmur, murmur. And uh, they're at it again. They don't, they don't feel like they have enough water. And uh, so they go to Moses and say, what are we going to do? You brought us out in the wilderness to die. Where's the water? Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? At least there we had water. Um, and so Moses goes to God and God says, Moses, I want you, I'm going to provide for you. I want you to go to the rock and I want you to speak to it. And somewhere between God telling Moses to go talk to the rock and when Moses actually got to the rock, uh, a distortion happened in Moses' life. Uh, see if you can, can uh, catch the distortion. Here now you rebels, this is Moses speaking to Israel. Here now you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Now, let's put on our glasses, our distortion glasses, Moses sees something. There is a reality there. And I think he has a good assessment when he looks at God's people and says, here now, you rebels. They were. 
they were rebels. I mean, Scripture over and over, 1 Corinthians 10, there is this constant recognition that the people of God, especially in the Old Testament, uh, we're not much new, different in the New Testament, um, but the people of God are rebels. And uh, so I think Moses saw, I think he, he, he was, that was a correct assessment, but that was not his. God had already called them that. And, but then notice this, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Now think about that. Moses could speak to a rock all day long. I mean, the, the idea is, is pretty crazy, right? Moses could hit rocks. Moses could hit every rock that's out there. He was supposed to speak to it this time. He decided to hit it. The water still came because of the mercy of God. But he disobeyed the Lord because of this anger and the distortion behind it. Moses didn't create water. Moses didn't bring water out of rocks. That's the distortion. God's the one who was doing this. And so Moses had a distorted view of himself, God, and others in this moment and thought that he was the one who was actually accomplishing this great miracle. So remember, anger always has, our anger at least, our anger, sinful man's anger always has with it a distortion. Secondly, anger exposes what we desire and what we believe. Anger exposes what we desire and what we believe. Think about how Jesus talks about what defiles us in Mark chapter 7. This is what he says. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, pride, foolishness, all these, uh, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and they defile a person. Uh, Jesus is real clear that what's outside of us is not what defiles us, it's what's within. What's within is producing uh, something. And I want you to clue in on that word murder. In chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, uh, some of you think you've kept the commandment of God because you don't murder. He said, but I tell you, but I'm going to clarify for you, that if you're angry with your brother, uh, you've committed murder. Because from the, the point of, of anger to murder, there are some steps in between there. Uh, but, but anger is headed towards that. Uh, it's headed towards that. I don't have what I want. I'm going to take it. And so Jesus is kind of zeroing in on the fact that, um, that murder, the action, comes from a heart um, that has desire to it. Um, what comes out of the heart are evil thoughts, and, and this is what the evil thoughts look like. Um, James probably says it a little bit more clearly when he says in James chapter 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Why are you guys having conflict? You're standing in Walmart. There's one register open. Everyone's getting impatient. And someone finally starts saying something and conflict erupts. What is happening in this moment? Why is there conflict? Why is there conflict at home? Usually around 4 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> you know, school work's done. Why is there all of a sudden this eruption of conflict between my kids? Um, and this is what James says, is it not this, that your passions, your desires are at war within you? Your, your, your passions are saying, I want, I want, I want, uh, you desire. So look what happens. You desire, but you don't have, and because you desire and you don't have, this is where your belief kicks in. 
and your belief says, I have to have it. And so you'll do whatever it takes. So James says, you desire and you don't have, so you murder. So from desire to murder, there's a lot of steps. But his point is, desire leads you down a path based on what you believe, that you have to have this. You can't live without it. How will you be able to survive if you don't have the latest whatever? So you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So the fight is a result of the desire and the belief system behind that desire that leads to a fight. So get the big picture of what James says. The reason the conflict's going on, and James is talking to the church. So the reason the conflict is going on in the church is because someone's desire is being expressed out of their belief system, and their belief system and their desire have combined to create action. Where does this come from? It comes from our hearts. My desires declare what I want, and my actions expose what I believe. My desires express what I want, they declare what I want, and my actions expose what I believe. What I believe about myself, God, and others. And if that's distorted, you can imagine the melee that's coming. What does Jonah desire? What does Jonah believe? Jonah wants judgment for Nineveh. I mean, that's, that's, that's Jonah's big desire. Jonah wants to see Ninevites punished. And, uh, and he believes that that's the right thing. And he's angry at God and accusing God of doing wrong because God isn't giving him what he wants. And so he goes out of the city. This is not a prophet who cares about Nineveh, who sits in the city and ministers to them, tries to help them repent, tries to help them know who the Lord is. No, he delivered his message. He's done. He walks out of the city, sits down, and waits for God to destroy it, hoping that God will. But he knows better, and he's mad. And then he's, he, he wants his own creature comfort. When that plant comes up, which God uses as a tool to expose what's in his heart, when that plant comes up, Jonah's real happy about his creature comforts. And God takes it away, and that's where Jonah's heart gets exposed. What does he believe? It's a very Jonah-centered world. Um, and and that's, that's a large part of the message of this book. God is confronting Jonah's self-righteousness, Jonah's idolatry with himself as the center of his own world, and for Israel as the center of their own world. Um, God is confronting this self-righteousness that uh, that Jonah and uh, Israel have have exposed. Um, and so, what I'd like to encourage you to do, and I'll, I'll make sure that this is available to you on our website, is uh, consider taking a couple weeks and doing an anger journal. And every time you get angry, whether you blew up or whether you contained it, uh, whether it just was this undercurrent of anger, uh, take a few minutes and fill this out. Number one, what were their circumstances? What happened? Um, you know, were you on the road and someone cut you off and it just created anger, it sparked anger? But that's not all that came out. Remember, anger is something that we do. So what, how did you respond? What in that moment did you want? And what in that moment did you believe? Where's the distortion in that? And how does God speak into it? Um, going through that little exercise of kind of capturing what happened, capturing what you thought, capturing what you wanted, capturing uh, what you believed in that moment was the right thing, what should have happened, 
uh, capturing and trying to think about and evaluate that in light of, is this distorted? And there might be a reality, but there's also a distortion attached to it. And then uh, how does God speak into that? What does God say uh, in that moment as he addresses it? Because, guys, God wants to lead us to repentance and faith. Uh, God wants to help our anger be pure. He wants us to have an anger like his, uh, which is which is very different than ours. It's controlled. It's not capricious. It's uh, its actions bring about righteousness, not like ours that brings about unrighteousness. Now, so I want to challenge you to take a few uh, weeks and do this anger journal, and then listen to the Holy Spirit lead you to repentance. Is Joan and. and with that in mind, is Jonah seen clearly in this moment? And I think the answer is obviously Jonah's not seen clearly. Jonah can't see God clearly. God had been merciful to him in chapter 2 when he's in a fish, and now he's not willing to extend or have God extend mercy to the Ninevites. So Jonah's got a distortion between him and God about who deserves to be shown mercy. Uh, Jonah has a distortion about himself and what he deserves and what's right in the world and in his world, his experience. And Jonah certainly has a distortion about the Ninevites. And God brings that out. He says, Jonah, you're more concerned about plants than people. You're more concerned about the flora and the fauna than you are my image bearers. So Jonah has is not seeing clearly. He's got his distortion glasses on. And God's trying to help him see that. So anger exposes what we desire and what we believe. And if we'll do a little digging, we'll be able to see where the Holy Spirit will help us to see where we're not seeing clearly. And then God can lead us to faith and repentance. Um, and then number three, God extends the grace of self-revelation. God extends the grace of self-revelation. And again, folks, this is amazing to see God engaging his prophet, but he does it in two ways. Number one, he tries to help Jonah, and I think he does successfully, helps Jonah see his own heart. He helps Jonah see what's going on internally, the judgments that Jonah is making about Nineveh himself and God, the evaluations and the criticisms. Uh, and so God is exposing Jonah's heart. He's exposing Jonah's distortion so that Jonah can start to see clearly and uh, experience God's grace in his own life. So God exposes Jonah's distorted perspective, and then God exposes his own character and his own glory. What's amazing about this, if, if you read Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, as Jonah explains who God is, I mean, he's in a fit of anger, right? He's saying, this is why I didn't come to my city. I didn't go straight to Nineveh. I went to, to another city because I, I knew who you were. I know who you are, God. You're slow to anger. You're merciful and compassionate. You're filled with steadfast love. I mean, I just knew who you are. When you read that statement, guys, that is a beautiful statement of who God is, of God's character and his glory. You read that, and somehow Jonah read it, and it actually upset him. It didn't comfort him. It didn't encourage him. <laughs> but God is <coughs> graciously revealing his character and his glory to Jonah so that Jonah can kind of be, be brought out of his idolatry, his self-centeredness, and put God back at the center of his life and then start seeing a little bit more clearly than he is right now. And this is uh, this is what God does. This is how God leads us out of 
our anger is by the grace of self-revelation. That's why that anger journal is really important because that's where you'll be able to, to kind of catalog and see how you're responding and, and think about where those distortions are and the Holy Spirit can really help you in that moment. And then, you know, how does God speak into that is a way for God to uh, reveal his character and his glory to you so that you can move uh, past your anger. So the, you know, to the question, does Jonah have the right to be angry? Uh, no, he doesn't. Uh, not, well, I should say yes, he does, and no, he doesn't. Uh, yes, Jonah should be angry that Nineveh is as evil as they are. Uh, but his anger should be productive in leading him to be a faithful prophet to these people and minister to them. But because of the distortion, his anger leads him to basically do the bare minimum and then wait for God to destroy them and then to fuss at God when God doesn't. So does Jonah have the right to be angry? Yes, but not in the way he's done it. Uh, Jonah's internal criminal justice system sees the evil of Nineveh, Nineveh, but with a distortion about himself, a distorted view of himself, God, and others. And because of that, Jonah doesn't have the right to be angry. Uh, Jonah doesn't have the right to be in this position with God. Some applications. Number one, can you recognize the fact that you have a distorted view of yourself, God, and others? Um, this is fundamental to who we are as Bible-believing people. Uh, we recognize that sin has affected our entire being, and we, 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 we move out of trusting ourselves to a humility before the Lord to say, Lord, I, I just don't trust my evaluation right now. Um, I need your evaluation. I need, to see, I need to think in your words and your thoughts and try and uh, analyze this situation from your perspective. And so that's where the word of God, right? Turn, uh, get rid of wickedness and receive with meekness the engrafted word. Uh, that's going to save your soul. That's going to save your soul, James says in James 1.21. If you'll receive, stop listening to your heart, start listening to the word of God. Uh, can you recognize your own distortion? Can you admit today, I have a distorted view of myself, God, and others? Um, if you can do that and start walking in humility with the Lord, you'll experience grace because that's what God does. He gives grace to humble people. We confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to enable us to walk in the goodness and the grace of God. Can you move past the fruit to the root? Can you move past the fruit to the root? Now, this is what the anger journal is really aimed at doing, is taking that fruit that you see, what was the situation? How did I respond? I yelled, I cursed, I, I, I cried, you know, whatever emotional response your anger takes. Sometimes when I get angry enough, I cry and I, I can't even talk. Um, so can you move past the fruit, the evidence of the tree down to the root issues that are behind it? And so what do I want? What do I desire? And what do I believe? Um, can you move from the fruit down to what I desire, what I believe? Because, guys, that's really what God's after. And that's where change is going to occur in our lives, is when we can see the root, we can confess it, repent of it, and turn in faith to the Lord. Uh, so can you get past the, the fruit to the root? Can you do that with your children? Can you do that with your loved ones or with your coworkers? Can when someone fusses at you at work, when someone gets really mad at you or expresses anger towards you, are you going to respond to that 
well, that's your own bad fruit. Or can you look at that anger and say, help me understand why you're angry. Uh, what is it that you want? I just want this. Uh, well, what is it that you think will, will be the result of that? And you can actually have moments with non-believers um, leading them into the character, the glory of God, if you will not respond to the fruit and learn to get to the root. So can you get from the root, uh, from the fruit down to the root? And this is where I think you ought to keep a journal, a thought journal, an anger journal for a couple weeks and just listen to the Holy Spirit try and help you move out of the self-centeredness of your internal criminal justice system. And I think you'll see anger start to abate in your life as you, uh, you learn not to trust your response and trust your perspective. And then you start seeking the Lord. Lord, what do you think about this? How should I respond to my children right now? How should I respond to my spouse right now? And then listening to the Holy Spirit as he tries to lead you to repentance and faith. Folks, God wants us to turn from our evil, our wickedness, the sinful anger of man, and turn in faith to him and to the grace that he has for us. Um, meditating on, on what does God say about my distortion and how does God speak into my anger? What does the scripture say? I promise you, if you'll do that with the Holy Spirit, he will lead you to repentance and faith, which is, is sort of that foundation of the Christian life. Guys, that's how we got into Christianity. That's how we live our faith, is through repentance and faith. And God is so gracious uh, to lead us there and to help us grow. And then finally, just to remind you that God loves you, that if you're listening to this and you think, man, anger is a real problem in my life, uh, I want to remind you that God has tons of grace uh, for his angry children and if you would say today god i'm angry i need your help help me to start seeing what's behind my anger go get from the fruit down to the root lead me in repentance and faith uh, i promise you god will begin to transform your anger into uh into something that's uh righteous when it needs to be but something that that moves you to take godlike action in the lives of your children, your spouse, your loved ones, your neighbors, and your co-workers. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, humble us before you. Help us to see that we always have distortion uh, unless we're reading your word and thinking your thoughts. So help us, humble us, lead us by the hand to uh, repentance and faith. Help us to see more clearly what's going on in our hearts so that we can see you and your character and glory more clearly. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.